We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Everybody to another edition of the Rock Pal Report podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger. And Chris, that is how you initiate a podcast. That just is how by, you get it done. Just by yelling? Yes. Yeah, none of this. Welcome to the. Hello. Welcome to the. Welcome to WGYE. WJYE. You saw you. You literally were last week. I wanted to roast you so bad, but I needed to save my voice for the podcast. It sounded like you were about to introduce a Yanni track on WJYE, spinning those smooth jazz hits with Delilah late night. Like that's what that's what the intro to the show sounded like. Well, you know, I did work for no longer a radio station, but it was called ninety four nine Light FM down in Atlanta. And they had the Delilah show. Did you just say Light FM? Yeah. They played like Rod Stewart. <laughs> it was it was a whole part of the Clear Channel Communications company. They had 94.9 Light FM, 640 WGST. They had 105.3 The Buzz, which was like the edge here in Buffalo. And then they also had... Uh, 96 Rock, which is the classic rock station that was around since the 70s, and then they changed it to uh, Power 96.1, which was Top 40. You on a light FM station? This is all starting... Chris, you realize that you're just further just, painting a picture that I've already had in my head for a while. I didn't do anything on air for them. I just did, like, promotions. Because you're the shine. You are who I would use to promote light... light, light. No, I would, I would, I would go out to like Light FM. You are the guy that I would use to promote that. I would go out with van, to Van Hits with like the oh, the, no. the you were the Van guy. Yeah, yeah. I had to. I, oh my! How God. else would how else do I get around to 
what I have to promote. And the, the uh, there was only two on-air people for 94.9 Light FM, Randy and Spiff. Oh, no. Dude, what? Light FM. Who are you pitching this stuff to? They would Who play you pitch they, Light they, FM to? They would play uh, Hall & Oates, Rod Stewart. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I'll tell you what. The way you handled the intros last week, I appreciate you doing it, but, man... I, you can tell. I'll tell you what, though. I appreciate you stepping in when I didn't have the voice to do so. It's commendable. Uh, what is this a shot of that you handed me? Well, it's bourbon, so you drink it and tell me if you like it. It's a little syrupy. It's, it's got like a thicker consistency to it. There's no really no burn. The flavor's kind of, I don't know, it's very sweet. There's got to be a lot of corn in it, whatever it is. It's Red Saw bourbon okay from is it honey own falls new honey, york honey oy falls honey oy falls which is uh it's native american for sleeps with inmates <laughs> i don't believe that that's correct but i don't know enough about the native uh, native american language to dispute it it was 30 dollars at premiere so <laughs> i got it if so fact though it's not a bad whiskey I'm not gonna lie. I'll pick that. Is it was it worth thirty dollar price tag? Oh yes. Oh for sure. At thirty dollars, that's definitely a home run. It's no Basil Hayden, which I'm sipping here on my glass. But uh, yeah, you do like those commercial brands. And what do you have there in your glass, sir? I see something with an orange peel. Close. That is a lemon peel. It is a Gold Rush. It is honey syrup, lemon juice, and bourbon. I don't know if it's the wax in your hair or the fact that now you're not only you have product in your hair and you're holding a fancy drink. I just that's how we do it. Like maybe it's just the white trash in me, but I want to flip this table just looking at you. I I, well, I want to come over. If you're if you're I want to tussle your hair and I don't know, like put salt in your drink. Yeah, well if you're if you're white trash, you know it took you three months of paychecks just to get that bottle of Basil Hayden that you have in front of you. <laughs> Folks, here's what I love. Getting to sit around, talking shit with my buddy. We both have cocktails in front of us. This has a throwback feel to it. And I love the fact that we're going to... This throwback podcasting, Chris. I love it. This is this is more like where we started. You know, where we started was you sounding like you were doing Delilah shit. Yeah, well, we've come a long way, haven't we? Yeah, you have come a long way. So this does feel, it feels like a return to normalcy almost. You getting to drink, me getting to drink, we're hanging out, having a good time. And in the, in, I guess in the spirit of that, we're going to bring this back to some bits that we used to do. The, the, kind of the way we used to do things for the rest of the off season. We're going to be taking at least one show a week. And we're going to be bringing it to Twitter Spaces. Essentially, we're going to run through the same thing we used to do, Chris. Current events, talk about some th- talk about some bills-related topics. And then, and then we'll- also above-ground swimming pools, hair <laughs> products. Hair products. We'll talk. We'll, we'll, we'll have, like, who has the best insult for Chris of the week. Uh, we'll give away prizes. It'll be a lot of fun because we'll actually have people to interact with. I'm looking forward to throwback podcasting, Chris. I think we need to kick it off like we always used to with the Bills News Update. <laughs> God, it feels professional almost. The Buffalo Bills have re-signed Saran Neal. Last year, in the week leading up to free agency, Brandon Bean surprised Bills fans everywhere by inking not one, but three of the Bills' biggest UFAs to extensions before they could even hit the market. 
And it was a cause for a lot of celebration amongst Bills fans. And I think you and I, like, in the process of celebrating that, I know I finished most of a 12-pack. Yeah. During that podcast. Uh, we played sound beds, we sang songs, we toasted to Brandon Bean. This isn't one of those moments. <laughs> it's not exactly one of those type of celebrations. And yet, it's definitely something that I think is a positive for the Buffalo Bills. Now, the news broke on Wednesday that they, they came to an agreement on a pact, and it was that a three-year deal worth approximately up to an approximate $10.2 million. Now, the, the official structure of the contract has not leaked yet. Okay, We're not sure where his guaranteed money is. I think it's, what, six point. One or six point two in fully guaranteed money. I don't know why you're asking me. I don't know that. I'll tell you the one thing that when I saw this news break, the one thing that entered my head was: so what does that mean for Tyler Matikevich, who is essentially the your highest paid special teamer? Well, that's that's true. There, there's a lot of different angles to look at this from, and obviously the internet had its thoughts. <laughs> Which, Chris, this is one of the reasons why I can't wait to get into Twitter spaces every week and start doing these shows where we can get some interaction because some of you are fucking wild. Uh, first of all, somebody named Against All Odds with an A at the end of it, like Against All Oddsa, which is a weird Twitter handle, says, I like him, but Bass kicks, kicks the ball in the end zone all the time anyway. Kickoffs are becoming obsolete, seems wasteful, and if Phillips or McKenzie get away, this will be the reason why. To which someone responded, you do know that he doesn't receive kicks and that gunners don't operate on punts, right? Like gunners don't operate on kickoffs. Like that's not the strength of what gunners do, right? Yeah, they're looking like a, like your Steve Tasker style of role on punts. Yeah. That's what you're looking for here. Yeah. Kickoffs. Why are you? Why is Tyler Bass coming into this conversation at all? I, I, I don't know. Uh, someone named Jay Nemechek said, Bills have no money, so what do we do? We pay a gunner on special teams. $11 million for three years. Brilliant. Losers. <laughs> like, what? Now, I get it, Chris. You just signed the NFL's most expensive special teamer. While already having an expensive special teamer in Medikevich. So it probably sounds strange to people who aren't... You probably weren't expecting to hear in the same offseason cycle. Buffalo Bills hurting for cap space. Also, Bill signed league's most league's most expensive special teamer ever. <laughs> like that's that's not a thing you expect to hear. So I understand some pushback from fans. But uh Uber Hansen, Hansel from the Process on Tap podcast, he had a really great tweet about this. <clears throat> when you look at the guys who average per year right, who have been paid over the course of NFL history. And you take a look at what they were paid and who they were. So you get uh, JT Gray, okay, $2.6 million caps cap hit, 83% of special team snaps in 2021, 4% of defensive snaps in 2021. His cap hit was $2.6 million. Matthew Slater last year, right? Chris, you want to scroll up for a second? Matthew Slater, everybody knows that he has been a core special teamer for years. And the Patriots have kind of made a point of keeping that guy, made made a point of keeping that guy around for years, despite the fact that he was on their depth chart, I believe, as a wide receiver, but had really no snaps on offense, which is 
you can see it, Chris. What is what is his snap count in this in this screenshot? Matthew Slater, eighty percent of special team snaps in twenty one, one percent of offensive snaps in twenty one. He's not a guy who you get that from, but he made three million dollars last year. So now, when you look at Saran Neal's deal at, through that lens, three point six million for twenty twenty two, played sixty six percent of special team snaps, fourteen percent of defensive snaps. That's ten percent higher than the next closest key special teamer. So he does more than just act as the gunner on punts. He does more than just, I don't know, what, uh, his Twitter's pretty funny. Um, he does just, he does more than just cover kickoffs. He's, I saw this statistic and it kind of blew my mind. Third most solo special teams tackles since 2018 by any player. That's a pretty good run, eh? Yeah. Okay. So, Ryan Tabbitt, Talbot from New York Upstate, and a few other people close to the team, okay, have kind of picked the brain of on this. Part of this contract's appeal for Saran Neal, and part of the reason he went for it, is because it came with the promise of more involvement on the defensive side of the ball. Now, you look at that 14% of defensive snaps that he took. Again, 13% higher than the next closest paid, like, hey, I'm an upper echelon special teams player in the NFL. And 10% ahead of number two. There's clearly a desire from both the player and the team to get him more snaps in those types of roles. So it makes sense then that his value would be considered higher than theirs, wouldn't it? If you have a guy who can do more than one thing, like in the case of Matthew Slater, if he's worth $3 million and he does nothing for you on offense. Yeah, what is, what is Saran, is he in the, like, uh, in, in the box safety? Pretty much. Well, we'll talk about that in a second. Like a Bacardi Rambo? Yeah, don't do it. Do, do, saying that name <laughs> in this... Do- we do not speak of that name in this doja. <laughs> but even that, right, Chris? Like, the announcement from Ryan Talbot when he goes, Hey, guys, I've heard this, that this was important. You know, same thing we heard. That it was important to him coming back was that they were going to give him more looks on defense and that they had a plan for him. Fans, again, say some really wild things. I saw some tweets from people talking about how, well, since we signed him to that money, he's obviously a a replacement option or depth option to replace the presence of Levi Wallace. What the fuck is happening right now? I don't know. I don't know. I wish I knew. I'm not trying to be mean. All right. Let's preface it. I'm always trying to be mean. That's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. And Chris, I sit with you every single week. I hear a lot that makes me roll my eyes. That was bad. So anyone who's thinking that, I I don't know what to tell you. But there is some evidence that this defense can be more multifaceted with Neil's involvement in sub packages, depending on our opponent and depending on the skill personnel that the other team is using, specifically when it comes to the tight end position. Think back to week five. The Bills went to Arrowhead to take on Kansas City for the first time in 2021. And they did it without Matt Milano. And I remember throwing a fit on this podcast about Matt Milano. Because I'm, I was saying, these games are the reasons that you brought him back. It's this game, going up against one of the premier tight ends in football. You brought Matt Milano in to be a boon to your defense, covering that type of talent. So the fact that he's missed so many of these Kansas City Chiefs games, it, it frustrated me. 
And in his stead, you watch Saran Neal take 31 coverage snaps in that game. He had zero targets, despite primarily being saddled with the task of playing a kind of a zone coverage around where Travis Kelsey was lined up. And in the 10 to 15 yard area from the line of scrimmage, the window of the field where Kansas City thrives, you know, using their tight end, using crossing routes to kind of create natural picks and get guys open in space where they can run and generate yak. The places where you would normally beat up on bad safety play or bad linebacker play. The Bills only gave up 66 total yards in that entire area of the field, which is why we won the game. It, the concepts that our GM and head coach talked about in their season-ending pressers, this need to get more athletic and to get faster, both, both in terms of offense and defense. I, I don't know. Neil might not be an every-down player, but he can absolutely bring another speed element. He can definitely bring another speed element to our coverage units that in a matchup against Kansas City or Baltimore or any of the other teams that we're going to face that have dynamic slot and tight end presences, Neil can also become a valuable asset, both in terms of depth and also sub-package wrinkles that you can throw at opposing offensive coordinators to keep them off balance. And it's worth noting, even if it's just for the sake of saying it out loud, Jordan Poyer is a free agent at the end of 2022. So is backup safety Jaquan Johnson. It makes sense, with that much experience potentially walking out the door, that we at least have options. Instead of just staring at holes, knowing that they have to be filled by players with zero familiarity with our system in the next, in, the, in potentially the upcoming offseason. Chris, do either one of us want him being a starting player for our football team? Probably not. Probably not. But if he had to be here to act as an insurance policy... Sign me up. Right? Insurance policy, maybe a guy who holds down a role for a highly drafted rookie that we take in next year's draft class who's going to be our Jordan Poyer replacement eventually, but he acts as kind of a, hey, we're not going to hand you the job, we're going to make you earn it. Kind of the way Ramon Humber did. You remember that? We signed Ramon Humber in free agency, and then we drafted Matt Milano. And Matt Milano was a fifth-round draft pick, even though everyone in the preseason could see Matt Milano was a far more athletic player He had to, Sean McDermott's pragmatic enough, he had to make sure that Milano was good enough to take that job before he'd give it to him. There's a chance that going into next season, if we can't, if Poirier decides not to come back, or if we can't find a price tag that he's willing to play for, and he just moves on, and Jaquan Johnson also moves on, because let's say somebody, let's say he doesn't mesh here, they don't think he's a fit, the team decides not to bring him back, you're talking about not only a special teams hole, but you're also looking at needing somebody on the field. Now, obviously, the smart money would say use the draft to replace a position that you can find good safety play throughout the course of an NFL draft. But McDermott's not going to go in there with nothing. He's going to want to know, hey, I have a guy that I can plug in while this rookie learns the ropes. If it costs, again, we're talking about Saran Neal's contract was only $0.6 million more than Matthew Slater played under last year. If that's the case, we're, we've essentially locked up an upper echelon guy who gives you premium performance at an important position. You also have a guy who has current 
defensive ability. He's an asset to you situationally. And he's a guy who next offseason, you might need someone who can fill that role. If it only costs us 6.2, I mean, again, we need to see the structure of it, but if it only costs me 6.2 million guaranteed to have that peace of mind, I'm more than okay with this, aren't you? Yeah. All right, well, I'll tell you what, I'll raise a glass and drink to that. Here, cheers. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So moving on, it does not look like there is a franchise tag in the cards for the Buffalo Bills this season. Now, in the next show that we're going to drop on Monday night with Anthony Prohaska of Cover One, where we're going to set the table this week and next week for upcoming free agency, I think in a unique way that you probably don't... Chris, there's so much content out there now, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. So... There's a lot of guys who do a lot of hard work. The guys over at Cover One, they've been recording free agency primers for weeks where they break down the players they like and the amount of money they think that those players are worth. And it's like, guys, at what point do you sleep? Do you guys drink a beer? Do you guys ever just have a night? I don't know. Well, what do you do? <laughs> I don't begrudge them. I just know that it's not anything I want to I, I don't know. We just have our own approach. And I think that with the guests we have lined up, we have some really unique conversation ahead of the Buffalo Bills really hitting the official signing day of free agency. But so we plan on talking about this dynamic with him and picking his brain about it. Chris, you know I love charts. Look at this beast. Yep. Now scroll nice down. Glorious thing that you made in Excel. Hell yeah. Oh yeah, and, and I've got historical data to go along with it. God. Overall franchise tag usage, Buffalo Bills franchise tag usage. Guys, I'm a chart and fiend. I believe in data and analytics and all these things, even if I hate when people use the word analytics because it makes you sound like a dork. We're going to talk about all of this and just how that can affect the market with Anthony because, let's face it, he's probably a little bit smarter than me when it comes to some of this stuff. He's very smart. But it's interesting... To look at the Buffalo Bills and see that for yet another year, there is no candidate for the franchise tag on the horizon. And it's interesting, our team hasn't utilized the franchise tag since 2016, when Doug Whaley used it on offensive tackle Cody Glenn as, as a precursor to him signing his five-year extension. And then we sent never him played to, under it. And then we sent him to Cincinnati. And then we shipped him off to Cincinnati under Brandon Bean. But it's, it's, it's interesting to note that the Bills haven't had a player play under the franchise tag since Jarius Bird. 
First of all, Chris, to the best GM in football. There. <laughs> Brandon, Brandon Bean. When you toss in Jerry's bird, Doug Whaley was responsible for using the tag twice during his tenure here in Buffalo. Meanwhile, Brandon Bean hasn't used it at all, and you could argue he's had far more opportunities or reason to do so, given the makeup of our current roster. <laughs> to highlight exactly why the, his, his lack of tag utilization and savvy in that regard is so impressive, you just got to look at his very first draft class. Field Yates from ESPN had a great tweet the other day where he ran down the first six picks by the Buffalo Bills in 2018. Quarterback Josh Allen, six-year, $258 million extension. Linebacker Tremaine Edmonds, two-time Pro Bowler. Defensive tackle Harrison Phillips, 107 tackles. Quarterback Teron Johnson, three-year, $24 million extension. Special teamer Saron Neal, three-year, $10.9 million extension. Guard Wyatt Teller, traded to Browns, all-pro in 2020 and 2021. That's the one that got away. Look at that draft class. I, we know that the draft is like throwing darts. But this, I mean, if you're keeping track at home, in 2018, Brandon Bean managed to haul in a franchise quarterback, a two-time Pro Bowler and team captain, three extensions, right? Three players who were worth extending, with another potentially on the way, depending on what happens with Harrison Phillips in the next two weeks, and a fifth-year option that's hard for anybody to really complain about, even though people who hate Tremaine Edmonds will try. Each one of these players does something at an elite level for this football team, from special teamer to slot defense to throwing 75-yard piss missiles in a, in a playoff game. Then when you factor in the Matt Milano and Trey White extensions from the 2017 draft that he wasn't even a part of, that he managed to ink while still finding supplementary talent on the open market all over the roster from offensive line to defensive line to the wide receiver core and the running back units. We haven't seen a GM accomplish this type of talent acquisition and retention since Bill Polian. And if you look around the AFC, I think you'd be really, really hard-pressed to find a football team that has done a bigger 180 over the last four seasons than the Buffalo Bills. I, I brought it up before. You know, once we started paying Josh Allen our money, we're going to have to rely on the draft. Mm-hmm. Look at I've mentioned this before on the pod. Look at the Saints draft from 17. Okay. When you pay Drew Brees' money, Lattimore, Ramchek, Williams, Kamara, Trey Hendrickson... Oh wow! Hot damn! That is a that that Chris. That's like an anchorman when she goes, <laughs> "Sir, you have an erection," and he goes, "What?" No, and he looks down. He's like, "Oh, that." If I was a Saints fan, if I was one one of our friends over at Saints Happy Hour, that's exactly how I would feel. In that I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, because we're starting cornerback, de- starting tackle. Uh, starting safety. Starting safety. Starting running back. Not just starting. Star running back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alex Anzalone, I mean, he's a linebacker. He's still playing. which he's means serviceable. Which means that as a third-round pick, he did the thing he was asked to do. Trey Hendrickson, who even though they didn't retain him, he's performing well. Uh, somebody in the sixth round that I've never heard of. Okay, if that's the worst thing that happened to your draft, 
I, that yeah, that's essentially what our 2018 draft was. And when you look at the way that Brandon Bean was able to say, look, we got a couple star players out of broad Doug Whaley's last draft. I drafted some stars my first draft in the NFL as a GM. I found a way to keep the biggest of those stars. I yeah. Mean, there's obviously, it's not just Brandon Bean. There's obviously a lot of people that have a hand in that. But Brandon Bean, he deserves a ton of credit for this. It, and it's come in the back of his ability to ID talent in the draft while also being able to just be this, you know, we, we call him the contractual gangster. He's spent every single season since that draft sprinkling in short-term but useful free agent talent. And I think that that's the big reason why we haven't ever had to use the franchise tag. Think about it. Frank Gore, Lee Smith, Mario Addison, A.J. Klein, F.A. Obama, Matt Breda. All of these guys served in pretty... You, you, pretty important roles for the Buffalo Bills during your tenure here, correct? Yeah. And I'd even go so far as to say get the guys like Brian Winters. Um, who were some of the other guys that didn't exactly pan out the way we thought they would? Who was that offensive lineman that he picked up? Uh, interior offensive lineman, played for the Jets, played for the uh, Redskins. Winters? No, it was before Winters. God. There was an interior offensive lineman who we thought was going to be our starting center, and then he wasn't. And then he just never started. Call in if you know. But he's been able to find these guys on contracts that are favorable enough and structured enough so that they don't they don't stick with you long term. And so he can continue just releasing these guys and never finding himself in trouble with his star players. And then he's been extending them. He didn't let those contracts that made us competitive. I mean, how important was Frank Gore in 2019? We don't make the playoffs without him. Correct. He didn't let those contracts get in the way of his retention of quote-unquote tentpole talent that he was acquiring in the draft. The guys that he saw as the cornerstones of this team being annually competitive. So it's fairly incredible when you think about it in that sense. And it has me questioning who the next player is. You know, we just got done talking about Saran Neal signing his extension. Who's the next guy up? I mean... Who's who's the next guy to get a long-term extension? I, I doubt two to three years ago, anybody used to how the Bills used to operate thought Teron Johnson and Saran Neal would ever make it to a second contract with this team, right? Yeah. I mean, if you show me the man who said, I knew this team was going to retain Teron Johnson, I'll show you a liar. <laughs> I will show you a bald-faced liar. Here's the list of candidates who are set for... UFA status in 2023. Ed Oliver, Tremaine Edmonds, Dawson Knox, Devin Singletary, and our restricted free agents are Dane Jackson, Christian Wade, Tyrell Dodson, and Cam Lewis. If you had to rank priority one through three out of that list to get a deal done with, whether it be now, this offseason, ahead of their free agency this year, or because again, he's he's done a great job of avoiding even having to have franchise tag discussions with these guys. Who do you think he tries to get a deal with beforehand? Of those three, if you had to rate one, two, three in terms of priority, probably Ed Oliver. One. Yeah. Who's your two? Who are the, who are the other two? Oliver, Edmonds, Knox, and Singletary. Maybe 
Edmonds or Knox? If there was one that you had to kick off the island. Singletary? Singletary? Yeah. yeah because when- I'm, I'm on this thing that Brandon Bean knows that running backs you can find off trees anywhere. And you don't need to pay any unless you're paying like a, a Breda contract, like a one-year thing. I'm under the impression that as long as Brandon Bean's here, we're going to see a cycle of running backs only on rookie deals. So when Singletary's contract is up, which I believe is after this season, we're going to draft another running back and just keep having running backs on rookie deals and letting the next guy walk. So Singletary's going to walk. We're going to bring in another rookie running back. We're eventually going to let Zach Moss walk bring in a rookie running back and just keep that cycle going and not have having to shell out money for a running back. I know there's people who are probably mad hearing you say that, but just the other day I saw a tweet and it, it it's one of those things where you see it and you kind of just take a pause and stare off into the distance. Think about this. The Tennessee Titans this year, they, like, with the Derrick Henry injury, a lot of people assumed that their season was over, right? Yeah, they stayed in the number one <clears throat> spot. They cruised to the bye week and then top seed in the AFC. And they replaced that guy. Now, we can all agree. Derrick Henry, listen, I watched his collegiate years. I love Derrick Henry. He yeah, we know you love Alabama. Love Alabama. Roll time! I watched that guy be one of the most freakish running backs that I've ever gotten a chance to see as like as an adult who understands football, I don't think I've seen a freak athlete at the running back position quite like that. A guy that big shouldn't move that fast. And yet he does, and you would assume that, okay, they lose him, their team sucks, this is done, he's been carrying the roster. Now, you did see the efficiency from Ryan Tannehill take a giant hit without Derrick Henry. Because Correct. defenses have convinced themselves that they have to respect him. At the same time, they still replicated when they when this tweet broke down yards per game, rushing yards per attempt, and they broke it down. They replicated Henry's production with a team of running backs. They said, listen, we don't have a bell cow. We have three. And those three work well enough with our with our blocking scheme that we're okay. And in that way, they continued winning football games and their rushing rushing production didn't falter, even though passing the ball became more difficult. Because now no one respects your running back. They're dropping more into coverage instead of stacking the box, which is fine. You just found a different way to win. We don't have Ryan Tannehill. We have Josh Allen. (laughs) So... This idea that we need that running back, you don't. We genuinely do not. And so in that way, I I guess I look at that and I think you're right. I think Ed Oliver, Tremaine Edmonds, Dawson Knox, those are the big three. It'll be something to watch because the salary cap is going to increase by one of the largest jumps ever. From $208 million this offseason to over $230 million next offseason. So that means that savvy GMs who know how to creatively construct contracts, leading teams that players want to be a part of, could leverage some of that future cap space now 
to both acquire and also retain talent preemptively before they even have a chance to see the market, which will be to their benefit next offseason. I think that Brandon Bean fits the bill, doesn't he? Yeah. As a guy who could exploit this as a positive thing for the Buffalo Bills. And considering that he's illustrated in the past that preseason, in-season, before, he doesn't care. Brandon Bean doesn't give a shit what time of year. He'll make a deal. You remind, well, what is that? Uh, what's that? What's that quote from that, uh, that, uh, that masterpiece of cinema, um, with Jeremy Piven, where they're selling used cars? Oh, the goods. I love that movie. Okay, come on, sweetie. No, don't be a bitch. Let's talk some numbers here. <laughs> that's, that's Brandon Bean. All, see, all year, year round, 365. <laughs> Chris, what, you could see that, right? Yeah. Kind of how, like, Ocho Cinco, that story about how he was texting, uh, he was texting, what, a coach or an offensive coordinator in the middle of the night? Oh, yeah. He'd call him and be like, hey, I'm open, and then hang up. <laughs> <laughs> I assume that that's how Brandon Bean approaches his players in terms of trying to get them to uh, resign. He's just like, hey, I got some money. Let's talk. Let's talk numbers, baby. And then hangs up the phone on him. <laughs> I don't know, but I love it. And I love the fact that we're in this position, even if we do have some things on the horizon. I'm just happy that we're not one of these teams that's stuck getting in this cycle of free agent tags. And we'll talk more about that with Anthony in, ne- in the next podcast. But God, it just feels really good to not be one of these friends. At least our GM isn't using it twice because he can't convince people to stay. Right? Yeah. Jesus. And then, the last quick hitter before we'll get out of here. A little bit combine kerfluffle and its potential impact on the Buffalo Bills. Let's face it, folks. Nobody here is a bigger hater of the NFL combine than your old boy Drew Gear. The underwear Olympics. No one hates this thing the way I do. We should point out that... So a couple of weeks ago, we had Paul on from Hashtag Sports kind of discussing the salary cap. Oh, he's no, he's one of those nerds who's going to be watching he, this thing all weekend. He takes off work. Oh, my God, that's right. He takes off work. To, somebody takes, as soon as we're done recording, I'm going to text him to make fun of him for this. this some, Paul thank Wineski, you for reminding me. Paul Wineski of Hashtag Sports calls off of work to watch the Combine. That's I, a thing that happens. There's a lot of things that I'll take off of work for. There's a lot of things. I Chris, a lot of things that I'll take off work for. The combine? <laughs> I'd give you a list of things I'd rather take off of work for, but we'd be here all night. The reality, okay? I you could you, I could see you calling off of work for the combine over going to Potter's wedding. I can't wait for him and his wife to just, just like, like the, I'm going to make a wrestling reference. Chris, are you ready? Like I've the, never met his fiance. Like the Dudley boys. They're going to put you through a table and it's going to be one of the greatest things I ever saw. Sounds like a Rochester wedding. <laughs> this whole NFL combine thing is just a massive for-profit corporate dog and pony show that amounts to... Not a ton that'll that I think actually helps determine where players should be ranked or slotted. 
and, and maybe that's a little heavy handed. I think that it doesn't, it gets more credit than it deserves. Maybe that's more of a fair statement to make. The combine gets more credit as an event and an entertainment spectacle than it actually deserves. Not only is so much of what takes place of questionable value, but there's so much nonsense that comes along with the event and the discourse that surrounds it. it it's enraging. I, I want to chew glass when people bring it up. I, what, these highly touted GM interviews. That's one of the things people will point to. Well, the, the conversations the GMs have with these players. Yeah. Offensive tackle Willie Beavers. Out of, I believe it was Oregon State. Uh, he got asked whether he would rather be a cat or a dog. No context, just, would you rather be a cat or a dog? And when he answered, that was it. That was just the end of the question. Chris, what kind of an idiot asks a question like that? A lot of people. <laughs> Austin Lane was asked by a scout if he preferred boxers or briefs. And when he answered, he said the guy started scribbling notes on a pad like like he was doing long division. What? What is this? Des Bryant got asked if his mom was a prostitute, and he almost fought the guy. That was that was that was from former uh, Dolphins employee Jeff Ireland said that. <laughs> of course, it's a Dolphins front office member. I think he's with the Saints now. God, that franchise. Questions about pro- questions about prostitution. You should have been asking that about your did, ask ask those questions to your offensive line coaches. Okay, not not <laughs> not draftees at the combine. All of this, though, it, it's not groundbreaking stuff. All of this questioning can be done via Zoom, and it's all ridiculous. I feel like if you ask me what kind of underwear I wear, if I walked into that trying to treat it like a professional job interview, I'd probably walk out. I'd walk out, and I'd just casually knock all of your things onto the floor as I left the room. You want to know something about my demeanor? Here, here's what it is. Don't waste my fucking time with nonsense. Also, fat guys wrapped in the same spandex suits as wide receivers and cornerbacks? It's hilarious. It's led to not only some of the most awkward-looking workouts, there's been full-blown wardrobe malfunctions. Go Google Chris Jones' 40-yard dash. Yeah. Texan, Texans, Kansas City Chiefs defensive lineman Chris Jones? Just Google it. It's hilarious. This is why you don't wrap a 305-pound man in spandex. Also... Then, after the combine, and during the combine, I have to deal with guys in line at the butcher shop talking about 40 times as if they actually understand the value of it. Or, like, why is a 10-yard split for a defensive lineman or a 20-yard split for an offensive lineman, why does that matter more than their total 40-yard dash time? They don't fucking know, but they're going to talk about it in front of me like they do or like it means anything, and I want to make a scene. I want to make a scene in the middle of a grocery store when I hear this stuff. What does Matt Waldman say about 40 times? What's his quote? It's like When it came to running backs, he said the only thing a fast 40 time means for a running back is that after 40 yards like a safety will catch you. Yeah, like that's the time it takes for a safety to catch you. <laughs> yeah, that's the time that it takes for a safety to catch you from behind. That means you can, if you have a slow 40, all it means is that you can get to 40 and then someone will probably catch up to you. But it's still a 40-yard run. Like, what? This is all ridiculous. All of it. And if you so, so help me God, if you so much as mention hand size to me, I'm going to foam at the mouth. I'm going to come at you like the movie 28 Days Later. 
Tweet at us at Rockpile Report with uh, anything relating to hand size. Oh, I hate you. People. Drew's going to want to see it. The fact is, the NFL Combine, in terms of scouting, is really just a last-minute formality for a lot of these teams. They put years of scouting data into constructing their draft boards. Okay, it's that's just what this is. Scouting prospects that, that do slash don't fit their system, trying to determine who they'd ultimately target in the NFL draft, they spend... Chris, there's guys who were scouted in their sophomore and freshman seasons that are now up for... Ju- that these teams are aware of. They're on the radar. They've already done homework on them. Now they're just fine-tuning it. That's it. I, the NFL Combine, in terms of scouting... It doesn't make or break the 365 days worth of work an NFL GM and a scouting department just did. If anything, it's just for fine-tuning what they saw and to get some last-minute medical eval out of the out of the way. That's the value of the exercise. It also gives them a valuable place as play as just hey, listen, we as GMs can go to a place with our scouting department and with our other personnel people. Guess who else is gonna be there, Chris? Agents. So agents are going to be there. GMs are going to be there. Their faceless lackeys are going to be there. And so in that way, they can tamper in broad daylight. <laughs> they can back channel and talk about free agency and franchise tags and impending free agencies and extensions. And all of it can be done in, but it's still technically below boards because you can never prove it happened. But it, it's happening in broad daylight, and everybody has to accept that. That, if anything, is the actual benefit of the event. Something that we talked about with Ty Dunn. Remember last year when he came on our show? Yep. And we talked about what it meant to not have that at the Combine and how much that would hurt the preseason process. And for the rest of us slobs, the reality is that for most of us casual fans, the Combine events themselves aren't overwhelmingly valuable. They're not. There's psychopaths out there like Kentley Platty, who watches these like a hawk as part of his uh, RAS score modeling, or content creators like Eric Turner over at Cover One, who will pour over these things and match them up with his film room study. But guys who like to sleep, like me and Chris, I don't know about you, I like, Chris, I like taking a nap sometimes. I like catching a good buzz and watching a movie that I've already seen a hundred times, like Top Gun. Tombstone, a Bronx Coneheads, Black Sheep, Slapshot, Top Secret. I know you've never seen a Bronx Tale. No. Have you you seen Top Gun? No. God, I hate you. See, this is it. This is what. No, Top Gun, Bronx Tale, never seen it. I can't believe you've seen Coneheads. I've seen Coneheads. Top Secret. Top Secret's a great movie. In all honesty, I would glaze over like a bear claw. And just daydream about cold beer. If you tried forcing me to sit and intently watch all of the Combine stuff in real time. Can we do this next year? How about this? We take all of the uh, the video equipment and we go up to Lockport to Paul Wineski's and I just record both of you watching the Combine. <laughs> oh my God. Is that, can we, can we cross that over? We do can. Do a, a crossover? We can, but I'll tell you this. There's going to need to be booze, and I mean a lot of booze. A lot of booze. The longest I've ever watched the NFL Combine was I was hungover. I did, our friend Potter, 
you just made fun of him. I was at our friend Potter's house, and he tried to warn me that Rarbox Scotch Ale, right? Scotch Ales are they're, they're, <laughs> it's a, they're a stiff beer. Uh, yeah, they're I'm smooth I, drinking, but they're like a seven point one percent. Rohrbach Scotch Ales. I've had that at the at Car, uh, Comedy at the Carlson in Rochester before. They sneak up on me, and then yeah. when you realize you have to drive sixty miles home, yeah, it's a fun game. So imagine you're on your fourth one, and your buddy comes up to you and goes, "Hey, I drink these all the time. You should probably slow down." Now, if you're Drew Gear, your response is, "Fuck are you? I do what I want. I'm a man." Yeah. I'm a man. I'm almost 40. Like you, Mike Gundy. I'm a man. I'm 40. You come at me if you want. You, so, li- you live life in the fast lane. So I drank 13 of them. And I was so hungover that I literally could not get off his couch. That is the longest I've ever watched the NFL Combine. Like, that's, that's it. I, and, and I feel like an event like that, it would have to be the same way. I would have to be able to drink. So I'm... Maybe we'll see if we can put that together, but I'm just tired of people pretending like it's the holy grail of draft season. The end result is what matters to me and what should matter to most fans. Which is why I got a little bit of a thrill this week when word leaked that the Combine's biggest stars and a hundred college players were going to boycott because of the strict bubble policies that the NFL was trying to implement. I mean, they essentially came down and said, listen, we're going to implement a bubble. You guys aren't allowed to leave. You're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. And the players said, fuck you. We're not going. We have pro days. Come see me at pro day then. Over a hundred players who were invited. And the league had no choice but to just say, okay, fine. You are the commodity. <laughs> we are just the platform that you perform on. We have to kind of bend. Just got to bend the knee. Which is good. Now, here's the question, Chris. Would you care if they eliminated this altogether. I wouldn't mind it. I actually asked the question, and for those of you out there, I want emails at rockpowerreport716 rockpowerreport at gmail.com at rockpowerreport on Twitter. DMs, emails, your thoughts on this. Has anybody ever done any study to show that what happens at the Combine is the results that you get from that environment are more true to the execution of a football player on the football field than their own pro day? at a university where they're comfortable, surrounded by you know, quarterbacks throwing to wide receivers they know, um, players around coaches and around their teammates and guys that they're familiar with, because if anything, that environment is more closely related to what the NFL is going to be like than any of this alien horse shit that the NFL Combine is. I want your thoughts on it. Let me know what you think. And if you've heard anything or read anything or know anything about any studies that have been done on that front, I want to know about it. Now, despite all the terrible things I just said about the Combine, it does play a key role for the Buffalo Bills this season for a few different reasons. And in that way, I begrudgingly have to applaud the league for making the smart call here. People might ask, Drew, you, you hate this thing. Why does it matter to the Bills? Well, first of all, anybody who's watched the Bills Embedded series, you might remember from Gabe Davis's draft year, there was an interesting clip where they're showing Brandon Bean watching Gabe Davis run his 40 time. And they're talking about how he ran kind of slow. He had a disappointing combine. People thought that he would run faster than he did. And Brandon Bean was quietly applauding it up in the room because he was like, oh, man, if he can just run a slow 40, then we're going to get that boy. And we're going to get him because we'll be. And it happened. That's why he fell to the Buffalo Bills, because he ran a slow 40 time. Sometimes it's not the successes. See, Chris, and this is what I mean. It's not about... Has this happened before? Wasn't there a Raven 
Baltimore Raven player that just ate shit at the oh, no. combine. You're, you're talking about uh, the current left tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs, Orlando Brown. He had the worst combine performance on record for an offensive tackle. That's exactly what I was getting to. And everyone went, well, he's going to be terrible. That didn't stop a team from drafting him. And that hasn't stopped him from being a starter in the NFL, who's about to get inked to a fat contract after he inevitably gets franchise tagged by the Chiefs. It's, Chris, it's it's one of those things. That dynamic in and of itself is important for the Buffalo Bills, right? Yeah. You, you These guys have done their homework. They already know who they want. They, they just need this process to not only fact-check it, but also... It's kind of a game. It's almost gamesmanship. It's like, hey, hopefully this guy does poor. It sucks that they're rooting against some of these guys in some instances. Or they say, hey, maybe this guy will do a little bit better. And I can justify pitching it to the owner that, hey, we're going to take this guy over this guy. I don't know. But there's a game inside the game. That's it. That's what actually matters. And also, the Bills draft pool this year is more important than ever. And this season might matter more than most in terms of panning for gold in the NFL draft. Especially in the early rounds, when you think about all the dynamics we just spent tonight talking about. Strap for cash. We've got players who are coming up for contract extensions at defensive tackle, tight end. Positions that aren't going to be cheap. This tweet from Kent Lee Platty. So much great depth. Might be the deepest in memory. Don't be fooled because it's not as sexy at the top. This class is going to have a ton of impact players all the way down. And that was him quote-tweeting Antoine Staley's tweet saying, NFL.com's Daniel Jeremiah says the difference this year in the draft between player 15 and player 60 is the smallest he's ever seen. He says the 2022 NFL draft has great depth, maybe all-time great. So what you're telling me is trade down. There could be, for a team that has cap concerns... There could be opportunities here to do creative things. And considering the contracts they have on the books already and in-house contracts that might be coming that we just talked about and the UFA contracts that are probably going to show up that we'll be discussing in our next show with Cover One's Anthony Prohaska, this season's draft is going to be incredibly important to the, to the Bills getting over the hump given their cap position. And the places that they're going to need to shore up both now if they want a real shot at hoisting a Lombardi in 2022, and also later if they want to stay highly competitive, as these decisions on who to pay and who to keep get more difficult, this draft is going to, going to be imperative to their ability to do it. Brandon Bean is going to have to replicate that 2018 class this year. Given the depth of it, I have to admit that this combine has a little bit of importance for the Buffalo Bills. It'll be interesting to see who they target, who their scouts spend time with, and who they interview. Because the days of them only... Remember when we were so predictable that we only drafted guys that we met with at the Combine and that we invited in for visits? Yeah. Those days are over. And I'm happy to see it because it means we have a functioning front office. It's going to be incredibly interesting to watch this play out, but I'm happy they were able to get the Combine off the ground even if I hate the practice, even if it's like drinking battery acid for me. It's good for the Buffalo Bills, and ultimately, that's good for my sanity. That's good enough for me. <laughs> Guys, this has been a lot of fun. Chris, isn't Loose Hang podcast just you and me talk about current events and 
good because this thing doesn't have a uh, like an obsolete date. Like when we do stuff during the season, it's obsolete by the next Sunday when we have a game. No, this is just, this isn't going to be obsolete ever. And I, the only thing I wish, because let's face it, how much how much do you ever have to say about these things? Not a lot. It'll be nice when we can open this up on Twitter Spaces and get a little bit of commentary in there. Yeah, that's coming soon. Twitter Spaces, Rock Pile Report, Twitter Spaces. <laughs> Guys, this has been a lot of fun. We gotta get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. This has been your Rock Pile Report. <laughs>